Hello and welcome to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my fiancé to watch the musicals he really should have seen by now, and then we talk about them. I am the fiancé. And I'm Drew. This is one you wanted us to watch a while ago, like we bought the DVD and you're all prepared for us to watch it. Mm-hmm. So this really is introducing me to a musical I should have seen by now, and, and we'll be talking about it. This is true, but I put it off, and I put it off, and I put it off. <laughs> Why is that? Because I historically do not enjoy biopics. Yes. Musical or not. It's not my thing. I don't really enjoy, unless it's like true crime, <laughs> I'm not really into it. Which, it's a shame we never caught making a murder of the musical up in Edinburgh. Right. I feel like that would have been really like, right, right up, up your street. But I prefer my true crime in podcast format and... With biopics, I just find that I sort of zone out and I spend more time thinking, okay, but how much of this is actually true and how much of it has been twisted a bit for this? Yes, which I would agree with. It's always like history is written by the winners. Yes, which is very much how we felt about the Osmonds musical because it, some of it was slanted a little bit towards the protagonist. Well, but also as well, we didn't really get the expose on the father. It was all very much a loving tribute mm-hmm. to the patriarch of the Osmond family. And we're watching it and thinking, did you really care about him as much as you claim to have? Like, yeah. So there was that. You, you quite liked the Cher show. I did. I really enjoyed the Cher show. I think that lends its only lent itself to me because it's Cher. Yeah. And I love her. <laughs> and I She's think an it did something quite interesting with like the different voices for the different stages. Yes. And getting, because this is what, again, one of my issues with biopic musicals is that you're using a song I already know and trying to change the meaning of it so that it fits with what that character's inner monologue at, at that time yes. should be. But with the share show, they didn't do that. They just had the three characters so that you got that constant inner monologue from them. But then you still did have those funny moments where they started singing like, do you believe in life after love? Which is hilarious. But that worked because that fit the character. See, I like biopics because mm. I do like learning about people that I know nothing about. And you're completely right that it's absolutely biased. In the same way, I really like documentaries, but you can never be fully impartial. You have to look at, you know, the agenda of the person creating the documentary. Yes, especially when you look at the same documentary comes out on four different platforms and they've all released their own version of it. And you have to look at, okay, well, which one of them was sponsored? Yep. To do this. Which but, one of them is doing this from an investigative point of view? And which ones are just doing it because the other ones are doing it? Yeah, so it's like the Fire Festival. The Netflix one for us is the winner over the Amazon one because it feels far more impartial. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the Amazon one, which actually had the guy behind the Fire Festival involved. In it, which is seems so weird when you're talking about something that was in t- like inherently a scam. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I really enjoy Michael Moore documentaries, but I know that they come from a voice who very much hated, you know, the government in America at the time these were made. And his agenda was to try to 
promote change. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing with biopics is I enjoy them, but we've said this with the share show and with the Osmonds that it left us wanting more. Yes. And at least with the share show, I did feel there was, you know, we, we weren't not going to speak ill of the dead. We showed Sonny's faults, mm-hmm. but we at least also paid tribute to him and what he meant to Cher's life. You know, it felt a bit more fair than just avoiding everything. Yeah, she was very kind to him, I yes. think, in that. But we at least touched on some of the issues. We may not have got the full detail, but it was alluded to. Mm-hmm. So we're going to watch a biopic this week that feels like a big deal. Mm-hmm. Is perhaps one of the most successful biopic musicals. This is like the biopic musical. Yeah, and without it, certainly we wouldn't have shows like The Osmonds or The Share Show. Mm-hmm. We're going to be watching Joysy Boys. Joysy Boys. Sure. Jersey Boys, yes. The story of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. The story of the Four Seasons, yeah. Yeah, I, I know nothing about the Four Seasons. Yeah, because when we knew we were going to see this at the wonderful New Victoria Theatre in Woking, you realised you didn't know any of the songs. Yeah, I know none of their songs. You're going to know some of the songs in this show. Yeah. Like, definitely. But I doubt that you'll know them because it's the Four Seasons rather than like just through pop culture generally. Fair enough. So this is a group that actually it isn't Jersey Boys that's made them big. They have this pop culture presence because their songs exist outside of Jersey Boys then. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's interesting to me. Chances are I'll probably know them from things like The Simpsons or Family Guy that have like referenced these songs. Yeah. More than anything else. Maybe the odd film or something, but I really don't know. I've not looked at the song list, so, you know, even now I wouldn't be able to tell you that it shocked me to see that they sung Hit Me Baby one more time originally before Britney Spears, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you one. Okay. Um, You're Just Too Good To Be True. What, the one? Which isn't called that, it's called... I want you, baby. I think it's called Can't Take My Eyes Off Of You. Is the, like, actual song title. Let me find it. The, yeah, the, yeah, it's Can't Take My Eyes Off Of You. Yeah, which I know from 10 Things I Hate About You because yes. of Heath Ledger's dulcet tones. Can't take my eyes off of you. It's not in an English accent, but yeah. But then you also have the brilliant parody in Not Another Teen Movie where it's got, Late Janie's got a gun. Yeah. The only <laughs> Chris Evans just, like, doing that sequence. Yeah, so that song is a Frankie Valli Oh, is it? Song. Wow, that's really cool. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm. I'm trying to think what other songs are similar to that one now. Well, Build that's... Me Up Buttercup is the monkeys, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the point with Can't Take My Eyes Off of You. It isn't like any of their other songs. Oh, is it not? And it's it was a struggle song. Like, <laughs> it at... doesn't fit with the rest of them. <laughs> but and... that's like a huge song. Mm-hmm. That's going to be stuck in my head all podcast. I mean, obviously the famous one is Sherry. Sherry, baby. Which, Mm. yeah, you're you're not going to know. No. Um, Who Loves You? Working My Way Back to You? No. Um, Come On, Marianne? No, I can just think of Come On, Eileen. Yeah. Come On, Marianne is such a weird song. We'll, We'll talk about it when we get to that one. Walk Like a Man... 
night. Oh, what a night. Oh, what Late a night. December, but back in 63. Yeah. Cool. Where do you know that from? I don't know. You just sort of know it. Oh, well, I didn't. Yeah, I just know that one. Fun fact that was my parents' wedding song. Nice. <laughs> maybe that's why but I know it. That's what my mum always says is their song. Yeah, maybe that's how I know it then because your mum would have played it around mm-hmm. the house. Earth Angel. Earth Angel, Earth Angel. Which you know from Back to the Future. Yes. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I was going to say Grease, but it's not that. That's Teen Angel. And also, fun fact, not sung by the Jersey Boys, but is in this show. Short shorts. Who wear short shorts? Yeah. We wear short shorts. I know that mostly from The Simpsons, to be honest. Yeah, that's why everybody knows it. 100% a Homer Simpson line. Okay, cool. So I'm going to know some of these songs. Mm -hmm. That's fine. I do know, because I remember from looking at the programme for the Share Show, Mm -hmm. that we have uh, Rick Ellis who wrote The Share Show, the book for that also is one of the writers of the book of this. Yes. So obviously has stuck with that biopic formula. I know that this was a big Tony show as well, but I know this one, all the Tonys. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what year, but I know it was the best musical because I've seen that in a few of the press releases. So it was nominated for best musical Best Book of a Musical, Best Performance by a Leading Actor in a Musical, Best Performance by a Featured Actor in a Musical, Best Direction of a Musical, Best Orchestrations, Best Scenic Design of a Musical, Best Lighting Design of a Musical, and it won four. Yes, and the biggest one, obviously, it won Best Musical. Yeah, but it also won the two Leading and Featured Actors and Best Lighting Design. Yep. Interesting. I always find it really interesting when, like, the Best Musical doesn't always win, like, Best Direction of a Musical. Or, like, doesn't win best book of a musical. Yeah, it's interesting, Because you're, like, you're saying this is the best, therefore, surely the book is the best and surely the direction's the best. I always find it really interesting with those things. So this is... It's like having a... an all-round sportsman. Yes. But then also the fastest runner could be somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, MVP of the whole thing, but... Yeah. So this is in the 2006 Tonys. It also won a 2007 Grammy Award for Best Musical Show Album. Mm-hmm. And a Drama Desk Award. Yep. For Outstanding Action and Musical and Outstanding Sound Design. Mm-hmm. And then in 2009 at the Olivier Awards, when it opened in London, it won Best New Musical, but nothing else. Yeah, but it was uh, nominated for Best Actor, Best Theatre Choreographer, Best Director, Best Sound Design. Same director both times round. Mm-hmm. Same sound design by the looks of it as the Drama Desk Award. But no luck for them in London. Yeah. I'm intrigued at how this one obviously is going to fare in terms of like coming across to a UK audience simply because it's going to be probably a very American group. I don't know how well the Four Seasons would have done when they came across to the UK or if they, they, they sold records as well in the UK. Yeah. You know, you don't hear about it in the same way as Beatlemania. Obviously, you knew that the Beatles were incredibly popular in England and then they transferred over to America. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how well they fared. Um, yeah, something that at the time was called the British Invasion. Yeah. Which and, I'm kind of... <laughs> but, but even, I mean, even in the 90s, it was always seen as a big feat if a British group broke America. Mm-hmm. You know, and bands would try it all the time and fail, you know. Yeah, because it doesn't work like now. People wouldn't have heard of you before you get to America. Yeah, exactly. 
So the actual four seasons are Frankie Valli, Nick Massey, Tommy DeVito and Bob Gordio. And in the early 2000s, Bob Gordio, who was the, was and I guess is the songwriter of the Four Seasons, he thought it would be a good idea to make a musical from the music of the band. And he hired Rick Ellis and Marshall Brickman. And he also hired Des McEnough to direct. Yeah. And he suggested creating a show about the band's history after it was suggested to him that he made a Mamma Mia-like show. So he didn't want to do a fictional story like Mamma Mia, We Will Rock You. Yes. And the reason why is because he said that their story is already a classic American story. He said it's rags to riches and back to rags. Okay, cool. That's quite interesting. But before the premiere of the musical, people didn't know much about their actual history. Yeah. Because magazines didn't really write much about them. Uh, In their research, Ellis and Brickman were really surprised to find out that they all had prison records. Really? Yeah. And uh, if it was publicised at the time that they had prison records, their music wouldn't have been played anywhere, which is why they didn't do magazine interviews is because they would have been banned from playing anyway. That's so incredible. No, yeah. I didn't know that. Thinking of the the song that I'm thinking of, or, you know, the few songs I'm thinking of, mm-hmm. it's not the vibe you get across with like that. You'd think that of like the Rolling Stones or, you know, yeah. Led Zeppelin maybe, if, if you're doing one of their music, like shows as a musical. Mm-hmm. Well, so they specifically cleaned up their act to look like a good clean cut group of boys. Yeah, because I'm thinking of like them in their blazers, mm-hmm. They're like a barbershop quartet type thing. Yeah, that's on purpose. God. To, to look like nice boys. So Brickman and Ellis were doing their interviews. They interviewed the remaining Jersey boys because at this point Nick Massey had died. So they interviewed Bob Gordio, Frankie Valli and Tommy DeVito. Then Bob Gordio is involved in this anyway. Yeah, but so he is, gave them like his version. But then at the same time is also, like you say, history is written by the winners. Yes. And so they didn't want it to have that outlook. Yeah. So they interviewed... The three of them. And they also interviewed uh, the family of Nick Massey. And when they went to see Tommy DeVito, he specifically told them that the other two guys were liars and that they shouldn't listen to them and that he would tell them the truth. And they all got they all got told the same story. Yeah. But it was very clearly from different perspectives. Yes. And so they wanted to put that into the musical in some way. And in although Bob Gordio was part of the initial development team, he was not involved in any of the creative process. And he only met the cast once the show actually premiered. So he was only involved in the music aspect of it. Cool. And also... Gordio, Frankie Valli and Tommy DeVito all decided that they would not be involved with the process of the show because they couldn't be objective about it. That's really good, actually. That makes me, like, feel quite optimistic going into this. Yeah. However, Bob Gordio and Frankie Valli still had final say over whether the show was going to open or not. Because if they didn't like it, they weren't going to let it open. Oh, blimey. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things I know about this show is that it is one of the best tenured shows on Broadway. 
Yep. It's 12th on the list with 4,642. Yeah, so opened on October 4th, 2005 for previews. Officially opened on November 6th, 2005 and closed in January 15th of 2017. Blimey, that's great. Yep. But I mean, it's up there with things like Rent, Beauty and the Beast, Mamma Mia. Mm-hmm. A chorus line, Les Mis. Yeah, and after it closed, they then reopened off-Broadway. Yeah. Wicked, Cats, Lion King, Chicago, and Phantom, which obviously is closing. I know. But still has like 13,000, and the only other show that's even running now is Wicked. Wicked would need to basically double what is currently done mm-hmm. to beat where Phantom's at, which is crazy. Yeah. When it opened in the West End, so two years later, February 2008, they had Ryan Malloy playing Frankie Valley. Yeah. Notable because he performed the role for six years, which makes him the longest running star in a West End musical. Nice. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Closed after nine years in 2017. And then the revival opened in July of 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And now we've got a tour. And the cast we're seeing is a brand new cast as well. I don't know if everyone is new to the cast. I I don't know specifically who is new to the cast, but we do have Woking being the first stop of the tour for the new touring production of it, Mm -hmm. which is going to be really exciting to see because, you know, you wonder, obviously they've been working on this show for a while, but it might be, you know, we're seeing maybe their opening night in Woking. Mm-hmm. So you wonder, you know, how well ironed it will be as a machine, you know? Yeah. Like for my experience lighting shows, the first night you always get like the kind of nerves by night three or four, mm-hmm. things are more polished. So I'm really intrigued to see how they click. Yeah. Is there anyone in the show that I would recognise? Well, so Michael Pickering, who's playing Frankie Valley, was in Jesus Christ Superstar. Cool. The one that we watched, he was Peter. Weirdly, Blair Gibson, who is playing Bob Gordio, really looks like my brother. Oh, my days. Yes, he does. I'm looking at the uh, cast list now. He really does. Then we've got Dalton Wood playing Tommy DeVito. He has uh, Carol, the music of Carol King, UK tour and Kinnicky in Greece. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Christopher Short as Nick Massey. He was in Prince of Egypt in the Dominion Theatre, but we might have seen him in Anything Goes. He was in the Sailor Quartet slash ensemble. Yeah. Has also been on the workshop for the new Time Traveller's Wife musical, which I'm incredibly excited to see. Mm-hmm. And so- Damien Winchester I've seen before as well. He's one of a member of the ensemble. He was in Beautiful, the Carol King musical. Cool. Hmm. So all fun people. I mean, I'm noticing. I don't want you to scroll too far because there is kind of a spoiler character. Okay, I'm not really looking at this stuff. But what I'm looking at is just like the pictures. And what I'm noticing is it's a very male-heavy cast with, I think, two or three female profiles. Four. Four. Yeah. And two of them are swings. So I know this is Jersey Boys. Yeah. But I guess we're not going to have the best representation of women in this. You wonder why I'm not overly keen on this show. 
So have you seen this show before? I've seen this show three times. I've seen the film twice. So if you're a fan of this, if you're not keen on this show, why have you seen it so frequently? So when I was at college or sixth form in the UK, my course that I did was performance and we got taken to see like a hundred musicals in a year, which was incredible. It was a really great experience. But one of the ones that we had to write essays about was Jersey Boys. And so we saw it twice and then it showed again. And we watched the we watched the filmed version of the stage show. So it's like a pro shot of it. Yeah, so that we could continue to write about it. And I will say that I got 94 out of 98 on my essay about it. Nice. um, Which was a critical analysis of the way that the storytelling is used through song. But, yeah, I just think in the same way that Romeo and Juliet is my least favourite Shakespeare because it's the one I read in school, I think it, it burnt out on me a bit. And because I was looking at it from a performance perspective, yeah. how does anyone get cast in this show? Like, it's great that we have a show that needs all of these really talented young guys to be performing in. But... It must be very frustrating to be one of the female cast in this show. Yeah. Because of the treatment of the female characters. That's fair. I can't imagine it's a fun one to be in. How does the film compare in a world where we've watched like movie musical adaptations and they don't always come out on top? It's pretty good. Um, It's basically just a film version of the stage show. Um. Isn't Nick Jonas in it? Yeah, Nick Jonas is Frankie Valli in the pro shot. But there's a movie. There's a. It's a Clint Eastwood directed movie. Blimey. Yeah, um, where you've got John Lloyd Young who's playing Frankie Valli, who was him in the stage show. But yeah, it's um, came out in 2014. My granddad bought it on DVD, and when I went round one day for dinner i think he said oh i bought this dvd it's a musical you're gonna love it and he put it on and i was like oh no (laughs) please no but yeah it uh apparently it was pretty critically well reviewed it's got a 51 percent on rotten tomatoes but the pretty much the consensus is that it captures the way that the musical works, but there's not a whole lot of heart to it. Okay. Which is maybe only there in the stage show because these people, these humans, are physically there in front of you in the room. But Christopher Walken's in it, so... You know. God, who would he play? I guess he's not Frankie Valli. <laughs> no, he's not Frankie Valli. Christopher Walken... Plays uh, Jib DiCarlo, who. Oh, do I want to tell you about this now? So. I mean, Christopher Walken has a very specific playing type. Jib DiCarlo is a mob boss. Okay. He's presented as a mob boss in this show. He is a real life, real world mob boss member okay 
And so Christopher Walken's great casting because it's Christopher Walken. You know how they all have police records? Yeah. They're all involved in the mob. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to be a wholesome musical like I thought it was, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the mental image you have of it, which I'm sure the wider public audience did before the show opened, was these clean-cut boys in their little blazers and singing beautifully. And actually, quite a lot of their story is intrinsically tied to crime and mob crime specifically. So, yeah, I think you're going to enjoy it. I think you're going to like it a lot more than I do. Yeah. But I think that will be for the benefit of having absolutely no idea what's about to happen. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, it's time to hit the road. Mm-hmm. Head to Joyzy. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, learn about a Jersey-based band that I know nothing about. Yeah. So we will be back from the new Victoria Theatre in Woking very shortly after Mm. intermission. And we are back. It is spring in the lives of the Jersey Boys. See, it has the exact same motif that another one of our favourite musicals has. Which is? Wind in the Willows. Oh, yeah, we get the the seasons. Done slightly differently here. Yeah. I I only kind of got that at the end of the play. Yes, as we were walking out of the theatre, you were telling me about how you really liked that we cycled through the seasons and it wasn't like overly clear when in their lives this was. And then as we were walking up the stairs out of the theatre, you said to me, I've just realised it's because they're the four seasons. Yeah. But I do, I mean, I really liked that anyway. Mm -hmm. Because I said to you, it's it's, it's kind of like, instead of saying like, share 1973, August 1974, May 1976, they were just kind of taking us in the loosest terms. You have like the spring being like the the genesis, the summer being the good years, the autumn being the winding down and the winter being the end. You know, I thought that that, but I do really like the idea of each of the four seasons has a different part of the story to tell. I especially thought like it was interesting within Act One mm-hmm. that you had it from Tommy and then Bob's perspective because it very much felt like the two biggest influences over Frankie Valley mm-hmm. in terms of his career. You know, obviously Tommy gave him his shot and helped to train him, but then Bob took him to the next level yeah and it felt very much like you had this more positive influence in bob and mm-hmm. this like devil in tommy so it's like the conscience of frankie valley yeah. and i think it works well that his is the last story we hear mm. you know you kind of see that he's, he's shaped from all these other experiences yeah it's really cool but i i did like it i really liked that it didn't get like bogged down in the whole element of the years i didn't really care you know about the passage of time here i was Mm. just enjoying going through the ride yeah as opposed to share i'm like or or the osmonds where i'm like okay but i want to know more about what happened in 1966 why have we jumped forward now to 1969 yes and because they don't show so many of the dates we're just kind of happy with going through like that 
I do think that's a positive thing that this it does. It really is. I'm trying to be positive about this musical. Because <laughs> I think sometimes the problem is that you're then like too busy trying to do the math in your head of how long has passed. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sucks you out, the immersion, whereas he just went with it. Yeah, and you rely on the actors to show the difference in time. Yeah, I really like the set for this one. Yeah. That, like, it's this cage and it moves along and you've got, like, a balcony, you've got this stairway up in this balcony. Well, it's laid out like... Do you ever watch The Slammer when you were a kid? No. It's laid out like the inside of a prison. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, and I liked that, especially yeah. knowing that there was, like ties to the mob and criminal background from them yeah so while they look really clean cut it there's this shady background behind them the whole time yeah it's very cool what did you think of say Swarila? i was so confused <laughs> so confused say <laughs> i was having the best time that's like one of the best moments of that show whole show for me is that they open on this thing and every time i've seen it I've like looked around to see what other people are doing and everybody sat there like, what is happening? This weird 2000s pop rap version of Oh What A Night in French. It was just very confusing to me. I was like, you know, one of my biggest fears, and this sounds so stupid, it's a big fear, but it is because like anxiety and mental health. Mm Mm-hmm. Going into the wrong theatre for a show. Going into the wrong cinema for a show, yeah. (laughs) That I'm, like, so nervous that I might have gone into the wrong one and the wrong film's going to start. Did you ever see the series of Unfortunate Events movie? Yes. In the cinema? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember that that's exactly how that opens? Yeah, because it starts off like it's a Spongebob thing. And it's a really great opening, and I really Mm. liked that. But it really did throw me, and it really did panic me. And, like, you hear these horror stories where, like, it actually happens like families will take their kids to see Winnie the Pooh and they'll get like wrong turn Mm -hmm. and opens with a really graphic death scene Mm -hmm. you know so like it is something that really stresses me out I was like oh no have we come on the wrong day and just got really lucky coming in here you know if not for getting the Jersey Boy merchandise yeah I would have really, like, had a a massive anxiety attack, I think. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what it was. You know, are we just watching a French musical? Is it, like, Paris Boys or or something? Yeah. But I do like it, you know, especially because we start, you know, in the year 2000. And then Tommy DeVito comes out, introduces himself. And, you know, he's got, like, a face of a mobster. Mm -hmm. Like, he genuinely, and he has this poisoned demeanor of this, like, mobster. Yeah. And it's like, you know that one? Yeah, that's ours. Here we are 40 years later and people are still singing our songs. And it's a good introduction if you know nothing about the band. Mm -hmm. Because you're seeing why this story is important, that they're still popular today. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Because the whole point is that song, I think they said the song ran for like two weeks at the top of the French charts or something like yeah. that. Which is crazy because it's their song. So our narrator for spring is Tommy DeVito. And that's what they do through this show is that each season has its own narrator. So spring is Tommy DeVito. Summer is Bob Gordio. Fall is Nick Massey. And winter is Frankie Valley. And like you say, obviously it ends with, you get the sense that he's been shaped by these other three lives. And that's a good thing. Yeah. And I really like the way the the 
bit works it's a very good introduction because you know everything's moving we learn that he's in a band already but they're in and out of prison where one of them goes in one of them comes out and it's like this revolving door mm-hmm. and they're doing shows but they're not really anything big and really the band is secondary to their crime lives yeah well so tommy keeps saying that the crime is only to fund the uh band yeah exactly so one of the things that i noticed when we went in to see this i was reading through the program yeah and on one of the pages there's a section called i'll tell you what really happened and at the bottom it says you have a bit from ellis and marshall where they say that they weren't writing a musical. They wrote a play and they fit the music in. It was a play about four guys who wrote music. Yeah. And he said, it's about revenge and betrayal and crime and punishment of family and women. I'm not bragging because I didn't invent it. I'm just admiring of how colourful it is. I'm thrilled to have been a vessel to help communicate it. But they weren't interested in writing a musical which I think is one of my letdowns for this, the way that the songs are embedded. They, I don't think in this show we get a whole song. No, we don't. Oh, no, we do. We get one. It's My Boyfriend's Back, which isn't even sung by the Jersey Boys. <laughs> I think the thing is with this as well is the the music, it, it's like live performances. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, so it feels like the, the songs exist in a diegetic manner that, and even when they sum up like big emotional peaks, yeah, it's almost cutting to what the performance would have looked at at the time and how that inspired their on stage personas mm-hmm. to kind of get over it and and why it had so much passion is because they were inspired by their life. Yeah. So in the first season, we don't get many of those really recognizable Jersey Boy songs. We have "I Can't Give You Anything But Love." Yeah, but I mean that's because the big creative force behind the four seasons isn't here. They're not even the four seasons at this point. No, they go through a bunch of different names. Yeah. But until summer, until Bob Gordio is introduced to them, they don't actually have that Jersey Boys group sound. Yeah. Who introduces Bob Gordio to them? Well, this was amazing is because it's Joe Pesci. It is Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci of Home Alone fame. I refuse to acknowledge anything else. His career peaked with Home Alone 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. He should have got the Oscar for that. Joe Pesci of, for me, Joe Pesci is fine. Yeah, he's got so much <laughs> musical, like, blood in him. Yeah. I like Joe Pesci. You know, the few, like, gangster films I've seen him in, mm-hmm. like, he's very good. And you can see why he'd be so authentic in them, because he'd have lived that lifestyle growing up. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was very cool. What I like in, in Spring is very much like the origins. It establishes, and I thought it was very interesting, that Frankie Valley is the name you hear with the Four Seasons. It's like the Four Seasons, but it also, as we learn through this, it goes on to become Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. So for me, it felt very interesting that everyone else was telling his story. Mm-hmm. There was people on the outside, and I got the sense that there was going to be some resentment from people because Frankie Valley became bigger than the band. Well, you, so you do get that resentment. So we have in, I think, Fall, it's when Nick Massey's narrating. Yeah. So it's Fall. Tommy DeVito has this weird moment. And I think in the actual context of sitting there watching the musical, it's not clear that this is the motivation. 
But Tommy gets jealous of the fame that Frankie's getting because people want to know who Frankie is because he's the voice. Yes. And so, he's got such an interesting voice. And the talent is crazy. Like his range is incredible. And so Tommy gets jealous and he hits on Frankie's girlfriend. And that's something you never do. And they say there are three rules in Jersey. You always tell the truth to your mother. You never tell the truth to your wife. And you never hit on another guy's girl. And so Frankie's livid about it. Yeah. Tommy doesn't really care. And Nick is telling it because he's impartial to this yes. part of the story. This is actually the best place for Nick to narrate. is because this is when all the conflict is happening. Yes. And, and he's, he's kind of just stood there stoically this whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's all to do with jealousy and feeling kind of left out of the Bob and Frankie kind of show. Yeah. But... Other than that, I don't feel like the jealousy comes across at all. No, I feel like you, you get hints of it. And and this is the thing, is it very much feels... like I like that each... What it seems like they've done here with each season is they've told each person's story. They've given them the opportunity to, and each version feels very different. That each one is like, you know, obviously Nick's being the most lacking because he wasn't there to tell his side of the story. But Tommy's is his pitch for why he was the most important... Bob's is his pitch for why he was the most important. And then Frankie's is just like, well, this is what I ended up with. But you've got Tommy taking all this credit. Obviously, he goes to jail and he asks Nick to teach him to sing. And then they have their performance. You know, owes everything to me because I introduced him to his first wife. He wouldn't have his kids without me. Yeah. You know, you get that bit where Frankie's like, oh, I've, I've I fancied her since high school and... Like, I think Tommy's been with this girl as well. She implies that her and Tommy had a fling. and, and Yeah, because she's fast, yeah. is what they say. But Tommy's like, oh, she's too much woman for you. But he says, right, there's, there's two roles. No, there's two kinds of women. Two kinds of women. Says. There's the ones who will sleep with you and immediately bust your balls. Yep. And then there's the ones that will play hard to get and then bust your balls. Yes. And, and she's like, like oh, she's good. number one. Oh, yeah, and that sums up the whole show's attitude towards women, really. Yeah. Because the women here exist to either be seducted or, you know, make or, the Jersey boys look like desirable. Or like or, ditzy non-characters. Yeah, or to like be... Like the angels. Or to be like the nagging spouse. Yeah. Who had tried to hold them back. Mm-hmm. But you see that Tommy's like, he owes everything to me. He, I gave him his shot. I trained him to use his voice. And I even got him his wife. Mm-hmm. So we see all of this. You know, Frankie's name is changed to Valley because... Of his wife. Yeah, he wants to change it to Valley with an, a Y. And she says, well, you're Italian, you yeah. can't. Everything ends in, in a... Val. Val. Pizza. Yeah. yeah. Pasta. Mm-hmm. Valley. So all of this happens. You know, it's very... What I like is the, the spring really sets about the foundation. You even have the sequence where Jip DiCarlo, mm-hmm. who I really liked his performance. And this was... Jordan James, who's actually making a professional debut here. Yeah. And I really liked it. You know, there's was, there was some nice, like, hammy acting to it. Mm-hmm. So you have, like, Jip being like, oh, yeah, I want you to play this song for me because we just buried my ma. And Frankie's like, yeah, but I don't sing that anymore. And Jip's like, yeah, well, I'm telling you, I want you to play this song. And basically threatens them. So Frankie sings uh, this song. And causes Jip to cry and like Jip's like standing there really, you know, sat there really calm and then he does his sobbing. And I really just thought it was really endearing for this 
possibly quite nasty character. Yeah. But again, this is an important scene because he says, he, he gives him a card and says, I'm a very powerful, influential man. Save hold of this. Which, Giancarlo, yeah. Yeah. That is funny, though, when he's crying while yeah. Frankie's singing My Mother's Eyes. It's yeah. hilarious. I did like that moment and I thought, you know, he nailed it. Fun fact that I've just come across in the programme. Yeah. Bob Gordio produced the soundtrack for Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah, I saw that in the programme too. It was very, very cool. Mm. Fun fact. Yep. While they were making this show, this again is from the programme under the section Mob Connections. They talk about how Rick Ellis basically thought that the mob wasn't a real thing. He thought it was a thing that was made up for movies because he said, I will quote this as well because it made me laugh. I had a resolutely middle class bourgeoisie upbringing. Yeah. Awesome. So he thought it was a movie thing. So he said, I had no idea it's for real until Marshall and I got a message when we were trying out the show in San Diego to go to a payphone in a parking lot and wait for it to ring, which we did. And we were told that we had to send certain pages of the script to a certain party who needed to vet them to make sure that the mob boss featured in the play was not disrespected in any way. Blimey. Luckily for us, in our story, he's a fixer and a go-between who saves the group, so we hadn't disrespected him. So that's Jip DiCarlo. That's terrifying. But then is that his actual name or did they change the name to protect him? Uh, they did not change his name. So Jip DiCarlo is a real person. He has a Wikipedia page. Cool. Okay. That's a rabbit hole I'm going to fall down later. Yep. Very cool. I mean, very terrifying. Can you imagine? You could, yeah, going to an abandoned parking lot that people would 100% be watching to make sure you're there. And you're not there with the police or anything. Yep. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Is he actually is one of my favourite characters in this. He doesn't come across too dangerous. And this is a very Christopher Walken. Yeah. Like, you can picture it, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. So, things seem okay. They're starting to get a little bit of success. Frankie is married. People like them. They're growing in acclaim. So, it's either going to try and take the band on tour. They get a fourth member. And they go to all these different places. Oh, they get that awful guy who makes them do, like, monkey songs. Yeah, and he has, like, the mask on as they perform. And there's They sing re- away. Yeah, there's a really nice moment where they're watching, performing it and people just get up and leave. Like, they're performing to ten people. So they sack him because... And he says, you don't get my artistic vision. And he shuts... The, without using his hands, he just throws his head up and shuts the mask. Mm-hmm. And this is when Joe Pesci... Working in a bowling lane gets involved. Working in the Four Seasons bowling alley. Yeah, the Four Seasons bowling alley. Because he's um, being used to rig it for Tommy DeVito. Yeah. So Tommy DeVito can make some money from doing like rigged bowling competitions, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, we know someone. it would be perfect. Bob Gordio. Mm-hmm. And this is where we go to summer. Yep. And Bob takes over the narration. Which is a really subtle change, I have to say. It didn't hit me straight away that he'd taken over. Mm -hmm. And I liked that. It was very, very subtle. Yeah. So in Tommy's telling of the story, he says that he found Bob Gordio. He pulled him out of obscurity. But Bob Gordio was actually a child prodigy. He had a hit at the age of 15. He'd written short shorts. Yeah. And obviously it was a one-hit wonder. And he's kind of wondering what was next. Mm -hmm. Had he peaked at 15? So, Bob Gordio goes with Joe Pesci to see them perform. He's not interested. He's actually more interested in flirting with the girls that are in the bar. Yes. 
and then he hears Frankie start singing and obviously we start out with the sort of slow part of Frankie Valley's voice where it's like low average what you would expect from a man singing yes. voice and then he wraps it up to his nice high falsetto and Bob like spins around and is like oh yeah I have to write a song for this guy yeah he's like I found my purpose to write for this voice mm-hmm. and I really liked that as a line and I liked that as a moment yeah so we get this cute little bit where they all join in on the song cry for me yeah he just sits at the piano and he plays it and starts singing and Frankie, Frankie comes joins, and joins in, in and then and Nick, Nick gets joins. his bass and yeah. then Tommy stands there for a lot longer than everybody else. But then and he then gets he in. Joins in. But then they do the haggling as well to be like, you know, what are you going to get? But Bob wants to be an equal partner yeah. because he's got a brain. So, yeah, I like that when Tommy goes over and he's like, yeah, he's out, we're not taking him. And, and Frankie's like, well, then I'm out as well because there's no band without him. Mm-hmm. And Bob gets the job. They get the agreement. Mm-hmm. Especially because Bobby is still a teenager, but they do. Yeah. And things go from there. You start to see the divide already because Bob and Frankie want to go to New York to follow up on like their applications and like the the CDs that they sent off to try and find a contract. Mm-hmm. Whereas the others are just going to go to Atlantic City. To Atlantic City to gamble. Mm-hmm. And you already start to see this divide, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. This is where we meet Bob Crew. Yes who I think we'll just refer to as Crew, so we don't get confused. Yes. Michael Levi, who plays Bob Crew, was phenomenal. Yes, really, really good. Very much a scene stealer. Like, every time he was on stage, the focus is just on him. Yes. He has so much energy. It was just amazing. He was really good. And I'm pretty sure he's a GSA kind of person. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Been in some interesting things yeah and i really liked that whole moment when they were going like door to door and being met with like no's no no's mm-hmm. and bob well crew says we'll give you a chance but you're gonna work your way up you you've want got to sing back up for other people first yeah i liked that moment how you had like the setup on stage of the recording studio mm-hmm. but you also had like the four seasons oh because they also had this moment where they see the lights and no they haven't had that moment yet She's like, they don't know who they are. Yeah, because Bob Crew tells them that they have... The reason why they don't have their own contract yet... None of the songs have resonated. They don't say what the identity of this group is yet. Yeah, so Crew thinks that they have an identity crisis and he says to Tommy, well, maybe Bob could write you some good songs if he knew who he was writing for. Yeah. And then they have their Four Seasons moment. But I do really like it. You know, they're singing and a new person comes in, takes the centre stage and they change the way they're singing and it keeps going. And yes. Yeah. So Bob has this moment where he writes them their three hit songs. Yeah. I like the moment where they're all just like staring at the um, light and they're like, Nick, look. Because they're going to go, I don't know if I'm right for this group, for this group, for this group. And then they all see the four seasons. Mm-hmm. And that's There's it. There's a joke all the way through that Nick keeps saying, maybe I should start my own band. Oh, yeah, I really like that when Nick's like... Every time there's some sort of conflict, he's like, maybe I should start my own band. Yeah, maybe I should start <laughs> my own group. And they're all like, no, you're not doing Nick's that. presence is great. And I love his voice because it's mm-hmm. just so... He's so like stoic and calm. And I really just liked his presence when he was on stage. It's yeah, great. he's very... Jim Povolo. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it is like Jim Povolo's voice, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, that proper bassy, like... But it's such a gorgeous voice to listen to. 
Yes, uh, Bobby writes, Sherry, big girls don't cry more like a man. I faintly recognise big girls don't cry. Yes, which he got from a movie, yep. which I didn't know. Well, which... I don't know whether I... I probably did know that because obviously it's in this show. So yes. I've just put it out of my brain. But this is a very montage sequence. You have what bits of one song, then you have bits of the next song, then bits of the next song, just to show like it's hit after hit after hit. And I think that works very, very well. Right, so this is where my issue falls. When you picture the Jersey Boys, what are they wearing? Blazers. What colour? Red. Yes. This is the only scene where they wear those. And it just happens. And it's supposed to be a psychotic thing. Like it's on the programme, it's on the posters. Mm -hmm. And there's no big moment of them doing it. They just pop it on and that's it. And it's just for these three songs. And then they take them off to record Walk Like a Man because Sherry and Big Girls Don't Cry, they perform. Yes. But then when we go back to Walk Like a Man, they're back in the recording studio having an argument about how this song doesn't mean anything because Tommy has a problem with everything that Bob does. Oh, yeah, but also Tommy's like misogynistic. It's like, what are we going to do? Walk like women? And it's like, no, it's about becoming a, a man. It's like, it's like boyhood. To, like to, a man, yeah. yeah. And, and then that leads nicely onto the whole like Bobby hitting his first milestone and losing his virginity. But... It does make Tommy come across far more unlikable than he did in the first thing, mm -hmm. like in Spring. Yes, okay, he's in Shades of Grey as a character. From perspective, though. But we still see him as a bit of a baddie. Yeah. Because, like, oh, it's really difficult to root for somebody who gloats about this lifestyle. But here it's very much like, oh, yeah, you're starting to see that Bob doesn't like him. So the way he's painted is very negative. Yeah. I do like the... December 1963, Oh What a Night sequence. You know, where, like, all the girls are there fawning over them and Bobby's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to yeah, lose my virginity. The, the record company for Christmas send them some girls. Yeah. And the, th the thing is, again, is it, it is a really damning, like, representation of the women in this because, you know, if they're not playing Frankie's uh, wife, wife or girlfriend, girlfriend or child... Yeah. They're here hanging off the four seasons. And like the girl who's going to take Bobby's virginity is all over Tommy until she hears that Bobby's a virgin. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, like a really nasty way to depict your few female characters. Yeah. You know, that it's like. And then and she the goes straight is, back to. I know. don't even think the girls come off badly in this scene because there's no jokes made about it no there's nothing wrong with being a sex worker At, these girls are clearly so do you think they're prostitutes if you, it, uh, it could be groupies record company yeah, could, sent them some girls yes but it could be groupies it could be people who are backstage after a show and they're like hey would you like free tickets that's what i took it to be but i didn't no. necessarily hear the line of like record company yeah no me some girls the intention of the scene is that you, you understand that they are sex there workers, which is fine. Yes. Obviously. Oh, yeah. My issue with the scene is the, like, weird obsession with his virginity. The, because yeah. at this point, he's a teenager. But also the weird bit where, like, he goes upstairs with this girl. And they're watching. And they're going, they're like, you know, we have liftoff. And they're like, oh, the mission's come back to Earth already. Yeah. And I don't like that as a joke. I don't, I don't like... He's literally, like, 16 at the start of the show... And we're now, what, a year later? Yeah, so I, he's maybe 17. Yeah, I don't like the whole let's up. laugh at a man because his sex is very short. And I know this is real, right? Yeah. I know that 
And it's probably part of his He's story as well. He's probably told them that. Yeah. And I mean, he wrote this song. Yeah. But, oh, come on. I can live without this. You know, it's 2022. I think yeah. we're past this now. Yeah, it just, it, it's a toxic masculinity thing, isn't it? That's like, mm-hmm. you know, this is what sex should be. And it's like, well, you know. Well, and it's the double standard as well of yeah. like later on. We have Frankie talking about his daughter and how yes, like she could be out doing anything or somebody could and be he's, taking advantage of her. But, and it's like, yeah, but you literally, as a teenager... Were doing that. Yeah. And also you were cheating on your wife because it's established here because they're touring. You have a road girlfriend, yeah. Yeah, they have like the a girl band that tours with them. The Angels. And they're all, you know, it's like Frankie is absolutely having sex with these girls on the road Mm -hmm. so like the double standard is very much like the men are allowed to do it but the women certainly can't yeah because he keeps cheating on her mary breaks up with him yeah you see how hostile they are at home as well that they're constantly bickering like you're on the road maybe i should go out and do the old job okay you you stay here you do this then go on good luck cooking their meals and good luck. yeah the kitchen's in there good luck and you know he sings my eyes adored you and it in a musical theatre tripe, usually this would be a far more personal thing. But again, it feels here that even though it is not necessarily diegetic performance, it feels like it is. Like, it feels like he's channeled this in a concert. Well, this is the thing, right? Like, so I really like this song. Yeah. Not in the context of this show. But one of the verses, one of the first verses of this song is, I carried your books from school playing Make Believe You're Married to Me. Yeah. Which... I think in the context of this scene makes more sense for them to use that verse rather than the ones that they did, which was about the distance between them. We know this distance, you're getting a divorce. So talk about how you were in love with her. That would be much more interesting. Agreed, absolutely. Because the only reason he married this girl is because he had this idolatry of her from being a teenager. Oh, he put her on a pedestal, yeah. Yeah, and then thought that she wasn't going to be angry at him for ditching her for like a year at a time yeah and just leaving her at home yeah it just yeah yeah it is but you know again treatment of women and also you know very typical of this sort of story that life is going well in one aspect but can't ever be good in the other aspect you can't have it both so yes his personal life is falling apart but they're doing really well Mm -hmm. they keep having chart successes and then they go to a, a band and they're approached by a loan shark who says, you know, Tommy owes all this money and that's our end of act one. Yeah, Norm Waxman, who I think is a really funny character. Yeah. I know he's really serious the whole time, but also he then goes on to be one of the four seasons. It's not meant to be the same character. Oh, yeah. But it's the same actor goes on to be one of the four seasons later. I and it's just really funny. I don't know if you've had this scene yet, but whilst it's on my mind, I'm just going to talk about it, is I love the scene where they perform and then the police officer comes in and is like, oh, hey, when you were here last, that's you in, didn't pay for your hotel. That's an act two, but yeah. But I really like that as a scene. And it's just like, Tommy's like, we didn't pay. And they all have to go to jail and they all just sat on the toilet seats. And Bobby's like, I've never been to jail. Mm-hmm. And you you see that there. Yeah, and I wasn't sure if it was Bobby narrating at that point or if it was Nick, but I I liked that scene. I thought that was a really good scene to kind of show, you know, the difference between, like, Tommy and the rest of them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we we end 
act one on this kind of cliffhanger and I haven't picked up on the trope yet of, you know, the, the four seasons as a storytelling device. I'm just like, oh, it's really interesting. And I, I can't wait to hear Frankie's point when we get there, because it definitely sounds like he's being influenced by two very different people. Mm. So that leads us nicely into Act Two. Yes, we're in the fall season. Mm-hmm. Which is where Nick takes over as the narrator. Yeah, and I really like this section because Nick has been so stoic throughout most of this. It's actually nice to hear him kind of speak up now, especially as the four seasons look like they're in trouble. You know, they have Tommy being approached about a lot of money that he owes. And obviously the whole group could now get in trouble with the mob. Mm-hmm. So this feels like a really good time for him to start voicing his perspective on everything. Yeah, especially because this part sort of requires an impartial voice. It's the shortest season. Mm-hmm. I do feel bad for Nick that as a character, he doesn't get the spotlight as much as others. But I guess that makes sense considering he wasn't alive to share his story. Yeah. So there's obviously going to be some kind of creative liberties here. So it doesn't bug me as much as it did Mm -hmm. with that bit of context. Yeah. However, this is the lead up to Nick Massey leaving the band. Well. Well, And Tommy. And Tommy, yeah. So we obviously get the hindsight here that the group is splintered into two very different halves that you've got... Nick and Tommy, mm-hmm. always rooming together, always on the road together. But you've also got Bob and Frankie. And this is where we learn of their, like, handshake agreement. Yeah, they make this deal that... I'm, I'm not sure I really understood the way that this worked. It's basically that they'll always keep working together and they'll they signed a contract... They didn't sign a contract. They never actually signed anything. It's all done on a handshake agreement. I know, but that's their contract. Yeah. That they would put a certain amount of money aside each and then they would use it for their own endeavours. Yes. And they're not taking money from the rest of the group. Because they're only using the money that they get their cut for it. But that it's essentially a contract that Bob will always write music for Frankie Mm -hmm. and be the creative force behind Frankie. But Frankie will... Anything with Bob. Yeah, it was like any other thing that he gets asked to do. So if he gets asked to be on TV, just him and stuff like that, that he'll take Bob with him. Yeah, but essentially he will always keep Bob there. And you have moments where they're looking at the finances and Nick is questioning this. It's like, I don't get this. I don't. Why Why is this money going in there? And, and Tommy says to him, hey, it doesn't affect you. I don't know why you care about it. And then we get Nick going, maybe I should start my own group. Again. Yeah, again. So Tommy, this is where the jealousy stuff happens. Yes. Nick observes the whole thing and then says that Tommy and Frankie never actually spoke about it, but that after that their friendship had sort of fallen apart. And the end of Act One was Norm Waxman coming to yeah. Tommy to tell them that he owed $150,000 uh, to an unknown party yes. who we never see. But every time the band has needed money, Tommy has been the one to get it for them somehow. Yeah. And 
the situation isn't getting better. And even though like there's this nice moment where Frankie is talking with Lorraine and mm-hmm. Lorraine's just saying, you know, leave it, just be the bigger person. It's not worth the hassle. It's not yeah. worth the hassle. Because he what what she says is that that's what Tommy wants, is he wants Frankie to react. Yes. And it probably does come down to feeling a little bit left behind. Like, oh, your best friend has a new best friend. Yeah. There's a line where they say that Frankie wasn't Tommy's little brother anymore. Yeah. I like the bit where obviously they're struggling. So this is where Jip DiCarlo returns. And yeah. Frankie goes up to cashes him. Cashes in his favour. He finally cashes in his favour. And it's for all of their benefit, but it's, you know, he's using his personal favour to try and sort this out. And what he wants is Jip to kind of mediate with... Uh, what, what's the... Norm. Norm. Mm-hmm. I was going to say Nax, because I was thinking Norm Waxman. Naxman, yeah. So, Jip agrees to do this, and we have the nice sit-down meeting. Mm-hmm. And this is where we actually see Nick explode, because Tommy is so just nonchalant about this whole thing. Yeah. And this is where Nick explodes, and he's like, you can all shut up for a second and listen to what I've had to deal with. Oh, and he loses it about how Tommy is the worst person to share a hotel room with, that he will use every single towel and then leave them all in a pile on the floor. He doesn't understand why the soaps are so tiny. He hates being on the road. He doesn't want to do it anymore, and he especially doesn't want to share with Tommy. He tells a story about Tommy peeing in the sink when the toilet is literally right next to him. Yeah, and it's a really powerful moment. And what I like with... Every time I noticed it here, every time they kind of stand up... Mm-hmm. They undo their, their blazers so they can move around a little bit more. And as they sit back down, they do it back up. Yeah, it's just good manners. It is very good manners. And I really liked it in the characterization here that even though he was really, really angry, he still had this professional demeanor. And everyone is shocked into this silence. And I thought it was a really powerful moment for mm-hmm. Nick, you know, that he finally had had enough. And I think Christopher Shaw absolutely nailed it here. It was one of my favorite moments. So Jip takes Norm away to kind of have a meeting about what can they do? How can they sort this out peacefully? And the band just breaks down. They all keep arguing and they don't really know what to do at this point. No. And Jip and Norm go away for a minute and leave them to it. And when they go... It's sort of immediately that Bob is like, we should have cut you guys out of this by now. Like, you suck (laughs) to Tommy. Nick obviously doesn't want to be here anymore. Which, again, this sort of makes me feel like, obviously Nick is the only member who couldn't be interviewed at the time. So how true is it that that's the way he was feeling? Because if... Based on the way that they've represented women in this story, we never see Nick's wife. Yeah. He tells this really, really sad story about how he has kids, but he had them raised by his sister and he was their uncle, Nick. Yeah. And so they'd never be disappointed by their father. Yeah. And like how tragic that is. But obviously it's not him that's telling that story. No. So it's just, it's interesting. It is. 
Jip DiCarlo comes back and says, this is the agreement and this is what's going to happen. That until everything is paid back, Mm -hmm. Tommy is to be uh, kept in Las Vegas. And obviously the Four Seasons worry, how are we going to do this? We're supposed to be on a tour. We can't tour with this. Frankie says that they will buy out Tommy's share of the Four Seasons. Yes. But that includes the debt, which, you know, Bob is a little cautious of, Nick's cautious of, and Frankie just silences all of them. And this is really interesting as a moment because... He's taking control, He's taking control. Mm -hmm. And he says they're going to do all of this, but then that will be it. They're done. Yeah. And Tommy's okay with it. He's like, fine, I'll go. They go back onto the tour... But then Nick drops that bombshell that he's done as well. And they're like, but we need you now more than ever. And Nick just says, like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. They try and convince him, but he wants out. And that's absolutely fine. And then we don't actually see Nick or Tommy again until the finale. And the rest of it here. That's true. We don't. Oh, and so there's this great thing that they do when a character is exiting for a final time yeah, from the main story, they always leave by going up the stairs to the crossing that's yeah. across the top of the stage, which was used as the prison at the beginning, and they are walked off that way. Yeah. So when Tommy leaves, he's walked out by yeah. the two guys who are taking him to Vegas. When Nick says he's leaving, he also walks out that way. Like it's very powerful yeah because they always leave the same way and it's very final yeah it is and at this point we then go into our final season it's winter and frankie is taking over which i feel like is the right choice to have him be the last person he's finally taking responsibility for his own destiny Mm -hmm. and you know we start off him saying i'm aware that i wouldn't be where i am now if not for tommy Mm -hmm. And I know that we didn't always get on, but I owe him a, a debt and, you know, this is the best thing I can do. But also that he never understands why Nick wants to leave. They decide between him and Bob to find replacements to keep the band a quartet. But then Bob steps forward and says, I was never comfortable in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Frankie is panicking a little bit. Because he's thinking everyone's ditching him. But Bob says, look, I'm not leaving you. Here's my plan. I want to produce. Yeah, I'm going to still write for you. So we find four guys and they'll be the four seasons and you'll be Frankie Valley and the four seasons. Yeah. And Frankie has to kind of be talked into this. Oh, jumping back a little bit. Begging is one of my favourite songs that's in this show. And yeah. it's sung when they're convincing Jip DiCarlo to help them out. Yeah. And they sing like a verse of it. Yeah. It's such a wasted use of that song. Yeah, because it's a very good moment and it's a shame it doesn't go on longer. And because it's one of the first times we see Frankie really dance too. Yeah. He does this incredible thing where he slides forwards on his knees and like spins around yeah. as he's going. And it was just great. Like really, really powerful, talented performance from Michael Pickering. But you get, like, literally just the chorus and that's it. I do really like the dance in this and the choreography, the way they all just, like, click at the same time, hands up together. The the synchronisation is fantastic Mm -hmm. here. So Frankie's narration really deals with his transition to solo star, but also family issues. Mm -hmm. 
we see a lot about how his daughter runs away and he tries to take control and she's just like, I want to talk to mum. Yeah, Francine. You know, and he doesn't listen and she ends up hanging up and, you know, his ex-wife is very much like, I told you so. Yeah. I told you. And then... When she even says to him, oh, you've decided to be a dad now, have you? Yeah. And then he goes to his girlfriend's Lorraine Mm -hmm. and says, can she stay here for a bit? And Lorraine's like, this isn't what we signed up for. And then she leaves him. Yep. So we get Bye Bye Baby, which I had no idea was a Four Seasons song. You know it from Love Actually? Yes. Yep. Yep. I love this this bit and I love that song. And, you know, it's very sad. Like, again, we've got that thread of no matter how good things are, you know, professionally, things are bad personally. But here it feels like everything is is down for Frankie. Mm-hmm. You know, the personal life, the professional life, things are not going how he wanted them to go. So this is the first point where he really feels like he is struggling. Yeah. He does continue to have some success. You know, Bobby's writing songs. Yeah, but- we get Come On Marianne, which is such a funny song just anyway. But this is where Can't Take My Eyes Off Of You is introduced. Yes. As this weird song that nobody wants to release. They say to Bobby... Yeah, Bobby's campaigning hard. Yeah. They say to Bobby, look, if you can get somebody to play this song for you, then we'll release it. So he takes the demo to a guy he knows at a radio station and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll play it on this. I'll play it at the weekend. And then it's like a month later and he, he never still did. hasn't played it. He's like, I swear on my, my, my mama's grave. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, you should never trust a guy who says that. Yeah. So then he bumps into Bob Crew. Yes. Who tells Bobby that what he should do instead is invite, I think it's Hank something, the label manager, whoever yeah. the guy is, invite him along to a show, have Frankie sing Can't Take My Eyes Off of You. The way he wants it to be. And at no point do we know what the song is as well. But he doesn't say it. He says, like, have Frankie sing the song. People will go crazy. People, like, do people react well? And Bobby's like, yeah, they go crazy every night, every time we play it. And he's like, yeah. So you take him to that show and you show him that that's how people react. And then you invite him to a load of follow-up shows. And then he'll see. And then he'll release the song. And the more you play it, the more people will be writing to radio saying, why aren't you playing this song? Yeah. And he's right, basically. But this is where the, you get the little, nice little uh, horn intro to Can't Take My Eyes Off yeah, Of You. Can't Take My Eyes Off Of You. And you'd look like heaven to touch. The great bit is when the horn section come out on yeah. the balcony and they all stop playing, which was so funny. I love this sequence because I love this song. Like, it is a really, really good song. And you can see why... It's so triumphant here. And even then, we don't get the full version of it, but we get a lot more of it. Yeah, because this is meant to be a big moment. So we get quite a lot of it. Yeah. Which is good. So along with that and the success of working my way back to you. Yep. They finally pay off all of Tommy's debts. Yeah, he's living life. He says that everything's going good now and that even his relationship with his daughter is looking up because every Friday night they call and they just talk. He says that she has a higher range than he does and that she's a phenomenal singer. And they don't say this in the show, but she had actually started recording 
in the music industry and then he goes to answer the phone on a Friday but night. But even this moment as well, there's something tentative in his performance because the phone rings and he stares at it and he doesn't go straight to it. Well, because this is narrator Frankie who's yeah. telling us this. So he's telling it in hindsight. He yeah. doesn't want to, to play out the story. And it's story. a really powerful moment because you just know that something's going on. Mm-hmm. So this is where we learn that something's happened to Francine. And we go with Frankie into this hospital. And it's really interesting here because him and the doctor face away from the audience. Yeah. Because he's sat on the bench in the waiting room. And then we go from there to the church and then the priests come. And same thing, they're facing away from the audience. Because it feels like this is a very intimate moment that we shouldn't be a part of. Mm -hmm. Because Francine has died from a drug overdose. Yep. Which you'd said to me before the show. Was happened. one of the very few things that I remembered, yeah. Yeah. And it is, you know, quite a powerful moment. And that it's really sad is that's the end of Frankie's narration mm-hmm. and the end of his story. Yeah, because then we go back to Bob Crew. Yeah. Who uh, basically says that the in nineteen ninety the four seasons got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, and they all come forward. All four original members come forward and they're all talking to each other. There's a Which nice... again, why aren't we wearing the red jackets here? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And I know they didn't wear them for this actual real-life performance, but this is a musical. Yeah. But it <laughs> Put is, them in the jackets. It's one of those nice bits where they sing and then they step to the side in slow motion and they talk to each other. Like, And it is the first time they've talked and, you know... Catchy up and Frank, uh, Frankie and Tommy are and Tommy's like, oh yeah, I'm going to have a party tonight, head on up. And he, you know, even Tommy's like, I'm really sorry about your daughter. And you feel for the first time they're actually talking as friends again, as opposed to just like... People who sort of know each other. People who sort of know each other. And it's a really nice moment. We learned that Nick went home and kind of sorted his life out. Yes, because they all step forward and they, they say their final goodbye to us. And it was really fun because Tommy went first. And no kind of reaction from the audience. No, but t- the story that Tommy told, I think, is the funniest one because he says that what he does now is he's Joe Pesci's driver, yeah. which is the it's just around. hilarious yeah. to me. And he said he tells this little story about how he asked Joe Pesci what he was like back in the old days, and Joe Pesci says to him, "I'm not going to lie to you. You're an asshole." Yeah. I was like, cool, nice. But he leaves the stage, no applause. <laughs> Nick tells his story about how he got his life together. But and it just feels really powerful. It like, does. You know? I didn't want to clap because there was just stuff happening. No, and I, again, I don't really care about this show. But, but like, Nick talks about it and he's like, people, do I ever regret the decision to leave the band? Do you know what? There's a part of me that's like, I shouldn't say the words, but the second I said the words, I knew I meant it. Yeah. So it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. He gets a round of applause. Bobby speaks. Frankie speaks. Um, they talk about how the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, of all the accolades, it meant the most mm-hmm. because that one came from the people because you have to be voted mm-hmm. into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that's really nice. And yeah, you just have this really brilliant ending where they all talk about what happened next. And then they come back, reunite to perform Who Loves You. Yes. And big applause from the audience. Mm-hmm. And that's that. And that is... Joyzy boys. Joyzy boys. There's another bit in here. I can't remember which specifically which performance because there's so many performances. I think it's the end of Act One. Mm-hmm. But where we have one of my favourite tropes is where they're performing 
with their back to the audience because we're imagining we're backstage and the sound is turned down. Like we've oh, yeah. had it in School of Rock, we've had it in Priscilla, we've had it in this, Dreamgirls. I just love it. And it always makes me happy when I see it. Mm. So there's a lot of songs in this one. What is your favourite song in Jersey Boys? In terms of watching the show, my favourite song is Can't Take My Eyes Off Of You. Yeah, I would agree because it We it get feels... the most of it. It feels like a complete thing. If You get that like emotional high of like, yes, finally. Yeah. Of the actual songs in this show, Who Loves You and Sherry are my favourite songs that are in this. Yeah. But they don't do enough with them. Like even the finale where they all sing... Who loves you? They don't even do the whole song. Yeah. See, for me, my favourite moment is absolutely the can't take my eyes off of you sequence because it does mm-hmm. feel like this huge culmination of the story and like a real like roller coaster in their life. I will give a shout out to Begging because like like I said, the dance moment in it yeah. is just so nice. I do really like the December 1963 sequence. Yeah. You know, the, the way they've kind of musically inclined that. Mm-hmm. You know, that... You know, I may not necessarily like some of the jokes and the toxic masculinity within it, but I do really like the way the song is presented. It's the most like musical theatre of the songs because mm. it feels the most, it's less like a performance. It's just the story came whilst in this moment. Yeah. What about your skip? Uh, any of the songs that aren't sung by the Four Seasons? So, like, My Boyfriend's Back. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give it to My Boyfriend's Back. The performers were phenomenal. It's the only time that we have just women on the stage. They're still singing about a guy, but, like, fine. And it's clearly in there to give the guys a break. Yeah. Because they're on stage the rest of the time, and they must be completely, like, flawed at this point. Because they would have just done... What a night at December 1963, walk by the big girls that cry and Sherry on top of each other. So they need a break at this point. So we have the girls come on and sing My Boyfriend's Back. But they do almost the whole song and it's so unnecessary. And it's just quite long as well. Yeah, I I would agree with you completely that that is my skip song. Yeah. I, I mean, there's an element of like the very first song is a bit of a skip song. So I probably wouldn't listen to that. But, but it's a good opening. But to it's the a show. really good opening to the show, so I wouldn't want to say that because I feel like it's the most important. Uh, like you say, I feel like my boyfriend's back exists only because we need something in that moment to give them a rest, mm-hmm. which is a little bit of poor pacing, maybe than anything else. Yeah. Who's your MVP for this one? For I me, think for me, it has to be Blair Gibson, who played Bob Gordio. Yeah. He just. Obviously, Michael Pickering was incredible as Frankie Valley. The singing is just awesome. But Blair Gibson just had... I think he's the only character that was like, oh, you're nice. See, <laughs> you know? that's the thing. I care about you more than I'm anybody I'm thinking else in too. terms of the performance. The person who got me the most is absolutely Michael Pickering. Mm-hmm. You know, they are all very talented. And obviously, their voices complement each other fantastically. But Michael Pickering's voice, as somebody who didn't really know what to expect from this story... Yeah. When you hear the range, you're just like, oh, wow, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it absolutely puts me in the same shoes as the people that would have seen 
like the real Frankie Valley's debut. Yeah. You know, when you heard that voice the first time, that's how I felt now. Mm-hmm. So for me, my MVP has to be Michael Pickering just because of that moment. Yeah. I just think it's great. I, I, I would probably want to play Bob mm-hmm. because he is the nicest one of them all. You know, so he, he would be the one or, or I'd want to play Nick because I quite like the stoic. I, I wouldn't want to play Frankie or Tommy. Yeah. There really is no one for you to play, is there? I would prefer not to be in the show. You wouldn't want to play Jip DiCarlo or anyone? No. I've no interest. No, and it, there isn't really an option, is there, for you, which is a shame when we have shows like that. The other thing I do just want to kind of talk about is how phenomenal the digital backdrop was as well. Like, I just love that you had this backdrop and they would change, like... The displays on it, I just thought it was really cool. Mm. And yeah. it had a lot of pop art in it as well. Yeah, the pop art was really nice. Obviously time relevant. Yeah, and it just helped really immerse with the show. So over to Twitter, where we put out a poll, asked people's thoughts. 29% of people said they've never seen Jersey Boys. 7% of people said no, Bye Bye Baby, they were not fans. 21% of people saying it's okay. But again, a majority, 43% of people said, yes, oh, what a night. Mm. On Instagram, 29% of people saying, I've not seen it. 6% both saying it's okay and no, they're not fans. With 59% of people saying, yes, oh, what a night. We did get interaction as well from the Jersey Boys Instagram of the UK tour who did vote, yes, they were fans. (laughs) Would have been funny if they said no. By accident or something, yes. But we heard from friend of the podcast, Elena, who told us uh, her thoughts on Jersey Boys. I'm a big fan of the show. I remember I saw it in 2014. I went to see the national tour and I was obsessed with this musical. Uh, I was obsessed with music beforehand because I love Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons. My grandma loved their music, so I grew up listening to them and I fell in love with the show. And then the tour came again, so I surprised my grandma with a ticket and she had no idea. It does seem to be a very popular show because every single performance I've seen, it's always sold out and you hear about that online. My favourite things about the show are they literally use the people in the cast to bring out the set pieces and props. I think that's smart because they have a very small, intimate cast and they're getting everybody involved. They don't dim the lights. They just do it while everybody can see it. But all in all, I love the show. I know it like the back of my hand. I love the entire soundtrack. I don't even know if I can pick a favourite song. I think maybe December 1963, What a Night is one of my favourites. And I really love the film too. I don't know if you guys have watched the film, but I highly recommend it. Hmm. Uh, We will probably watch a film at some point. We'll do a a follow-up Jersey Boys episode somewhere down the line. See how it fares in adaptation. If there's anything that gets lost. But I do feel like this is the definitive way to watch it. And... You know, obviously, it's good to hear Elena's perspective as somebody going into this who was a fan of Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. I feel that can sometimes be detrimental mm-hmm. because you might not like the way the story's told or what they do with the music. Before we go on to my rating, how about yours? Because this is obviously, you know, a show you've seen time and time again. Did it change at all, having this cast or this performance, or are you still... I'm still not a fan, sorry. How did it compare to previous performances? 
very similar very similar very much the same i'm frustrated by the things i'm frustrated by it hasn't really improved my yeah experience of watching it so i gave it four stars because i did really enjoy it and i got quite into the story and the narrative and i really liked the representation of the characters it's obviously still got the same flaws that other biopics have for me that you know we go past things very very quickly and you know there's always going to be one member who doesn't get any depth like even if you think back to dream girls my complaint was like the replacement dream girl mm-hmm. literally got no development whatsoever she was just there to be a replacement and i feel like nick is very short changed but that is because they probably weren't going to tell his story without his consent yeah the biggest thing for me is is the Jersey Girls in this, that I just feel like they are hard done by. Mm-hmm. They're really not important, but the representation of women in this is very poor, and more could be done. Yeah, to give them some individual personalities and not just make them like conquests or nags. Yeah, and I just I think that that is a shame. Mm-hmm. And indicative of maybe the perspective of Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons when they were sharing their stories with the writers of this. Yeah. So that's something I would look to change. I, I would try to increase the role of the women in this. You know, like Francine gets nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, we see her nagging at her dad. And we're supposed to be on Frankie's side, you know. So... Which makes no sense. No, exactly. And she's kind of seen as unreasonable, especially when... You know, his ex-wife is like, oh, now you choose to be a dad. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, but we don't like her because she's a nag. Mm. So that bit misses the mark for me because these characters don't have that development. Yeah. So I'd, I'd want to see more of that. But I did enjoy it. It, it does make me want to watch the film. Cool. Next week, we are finally going to get... Thoroughly modern. Thoroughly modern because we're going to be discussing... Thoroughly Modern Millie. And then the week after, we're going to be talking about Peter Pan Mm -hmm. before we go into our Halloween season. We're going to be talking about, over the course of a few weeks, Zombies 2. But we're also going to be talking about Ride the Cyclone. Yeah, I'm so excited. And I'm hopeful that within that area as well, that we might actually move things around a little bit. I'm just waiting on confirmation that we'll be going. But it might be that we talk about Ride the Cyclone and Zombies 2 earlier. Mm -hmm. Because we might also be seeing Bat Out of Hell. Which would be very exciting. Which would be very exciting. So we're obviously going to fit that in. And obviously, you know, when we get a chance to go see live theatre, we try to then shuffle it around so that it's as close to seeing the show as possible so we do have some really exciting things on the horizon before we then go into uh november and our christmas season yeah as always you can get involved in the conversation over on twitter and instagram at it's a musical pod let -hmm. us know your thoughts on any upcoming features and let us know if we've convinced you to see Jersey Boys if you haven't already or if you disagree with anything we've said. You can subscribe to us on a multitude of good podcasting platforms so that you're always notified when a new episode goes live. 
We are available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on the Amazon Music app under the podcast section of the library. You can find us on Stitcher, Good Pods, and our OG hosts, Podbean. And if you like the show, why not head over to any of them and leave us a review and share us with a friend and help our podcast grow. Mm-hmm. But until next week, where we will see you same bat place, same bat channel. Have a magical musical Monday.